previously on No Man's Land. He was off in the woods. There were rocks, and they were built up almost like a pyramid. And uh, when he took the rocks away, that's when he heard the name. When that name was mentioned, that's when he killed Seth. The rocks were moved. It triggered some kind of a... Of a um, that pile of rocks needed to be left where it was, and it wasn't. One of the seminal stories of the No Man's Lore that's been around forever is this story of the, the two little boys, Caleb and, and Seth Carter, and that they were playing out in the woods. They came upon this thing, they knocked it over, had this weird experience where they felt a presence in the forest, and then the older brother killed the little brother, strangled him to death, and when they asked him why he did it, he said, because my imaginary friend made me do it. This is what we're looking for, something like this. These kind of kyrns are specifically used by cultures all around the world to seal up evil spirits. Let's be wary of, there are some creepy fucking people out there. Anybody who sees somebody with broken fingers, let me know we're, we're fucking out of there. This, this was def somebody's definitely here very recently. You see that fucking mannequin? The hand? Oh shit. Why are the fingers, the like fingers are bent. Shit. This? Maybe we shouldn't there. stick around here. Like, I think we should for now. Should, should, we, call, should we call John? That symbol it reminds me of the Zodiac killer. Yeah, you sure we should stick around here? No. Live from Highland Park, New Jersey, this is No Man's Land, an original podcast from WVHP Media. Episode 11, Caleb's Tower. Sarah Purity, 777. Will there be a season two? I can't seem to find any information anywhere online, and it seems as though it has been a while without any updates. Working on that, Sarah Purity, 777. From AMWB1611. For real, though, you alive? You can't just produce stuff like this and then mysteriously drop off the planet. Oh my god. Do we file a missing person report? Ha ha ha. Half kidding. People are really, um... Sleuthing. They're really sleuthing. Wait, what did they ask? They were asking about season two. The reality is the cops in Highland Park, New Jersey, and Great Barrington, Massachusetts, and all the towns in between don't care that we're making a podcast. They're appreciative that we turn them on to potential evidence that could help them close cold cases, but they're not going to give us the information that we need to, to fulfill the obligations of, of our listening audience. All what? takes time. It does take time. Oh, no. We have a, a tragedy in the studio. Oh, no. John just broke his glasses. Well, good thing we don't need you to see. <laughs> All we need just is that talk. beautiful voice. Okay. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mark Ramrico. I'm Will Schwartz. And I'm Sophia Salamando. And you are listening to No Man's Land, an in-depth investigation into a mysterious section of woods in central New Jersey of the same name. We've been deep in production on season two, but there are logistical and legal issues that we're still negotiating before we can finish it. So we decided to release this episode to catch listeners up on what's been happening ever since No Man's Land season one dropped last fall. I know I said I'd talk to you guys about this, but uh, I mean, you gotta understand, uh, I'm having like nightmares again ever since you mentioned this. So I can understand you're interested in No Man's Land, but it's not necessarily the kind of thing that I think amateurs ought to be out there poking around in. Say my fucking Actually, name! 
Guys, we're going to have to end this right now. Orderlies, I need you in one... Before we do, we first want to take the opportunity to thank all the listeners out there. When Will and I started this project, we were still in the high school radio club, and never in a million years would we imagine that so many people around the world would hear it. We also want to thank everyone who shared their own tips, stories, and experiences on our No Man's Land voicemail hotline. Some of these have actually already become a part of our investigation, and we really look forward to sharing them with you in Season 2. There were a lot of questions left on the hotline as well, and though we can't get to all of them today, there are a few we'd love to update you on. Hi, this is uh, Michaela from East Brunswick. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and uh, my question is in episode four. You interview a professor from the University of Texas, San Marcos, about the origins of the weird graffiti symbol you found under the bridge where the flophead killings took place. I would feel comfortable couching it in eastern Anatolia and of the time, maybe Bulgaria, maybe. Did she ever get to the root of the image and where it originally came from? Okay, thanks. Our new field reporter, Izzy Bonvini, recently checked in with Dr. Hadley Year of the University of Texas at San Marcos to see if she had any information about the graffiti symbols we found under the Route 1 bridge. Professor Yor is an expert at ancient languages. In January, she will be taking part in an archaeological dig in the mountains between Turkey and Bulgaria, where she believes the image found under the Route 1 bridge may have its roots. But she was very reluctant to offer definitive opinion until she's visited the site itself. I'm only comfortable talking about things that I'm getting ready to publish. Okay. And I haven't yet been to that site, and there is more information I have on that site. But as I have not yet personally gone to this new site, I am withholding that information until I publish. I'm sure you can understand. Have you ever seen any symbol of the sort before? Does it look kind of similar to anything else that you've studied? No, I have not, which is why this interested me in the first place, because this has only ever been seen once before in photographs that surfaced from a defunct artist colony from the 1970s, run by a woman named Barbara Farmer. The symbol was found painted and carved into the base of the large swimming pool at this artist colony. And that is, in fact, the only other place I have ever seen this symbol before. I do think that it's a proper name. That is my assessment, that I think it is a proper name. Chat seems to agree with me. (laughs) Would you say that? discovering the origin or knowing more about this symbol could potentially aid us in knowing more about what happens in no man's land. Everything's connected. Everything's connected. We will hopefully be receiving dispatches from Professor Yur from the location of her expedition in Eastern Europe. But the one thing we can confirm is that we finally took our first field trip up to the artist slash black magic colony created by the murdered Barbara Farmer the ruins of which are located in Keystone Arches Park. We don't want to spoil anything about the episode for now, but we can confirm that the pool is pretty damn creepy. Hi, this is Sue. Um, I've been listening to your podcast about No Man's Land, and I just finished the eighth episode. And I don't know, I have to say, there's just 
something in that episode that isn't sitting right with me that I, I just had to comment on. I mean, I've been living in New Brunswick, Highland Park area, you know, since I started Rutgers in 1987, you know, and I worked at Eliza's Promise Soup Kitchen for the majority of those years. So, I mean, I totally knew who Willie Claus was, right? I mean, I'd see him at the soup kitchen all the time. Um, I'd see him when I used to, you know, go down under the Albany Street Bridge to pick up the towpath. You know, he lived in a teepee down under there. In fact, I think the teepee's even still there. Anyway, um, but in that episode of the podcast, Amanda from Forest Glen is saying she saw Willie Claus at the court tavern. I'm pretty sure it was him. And he, like, smiled at me and was missing his teeth. And... I don't know, he gave me, like, this feeling that, um, like, he knew who I was. I don't know. That's where I'm calling bull- baloney. I mean, if you saw Willie Claus in person, you would know what I mean. I mean, there's just no way in hell Bobby let that dude into the court. He was a mess. I'm not saying she was lying. Maybe her mind was playing tricks on her. You know, she saw a guy with busted hands, and because of her experience with Willie Claus, her brain just told her it was him. Anyway, that's all I wanted to comment on. All right. Thanks. Bye. So just to clarify what Amanda actually said about her disturbing encounter in the court tavern in New Brunswick. He didn't really look like this guy, really, because like he looked like clean, like, but I mean, he had the same hands. The man with the mangled hands who frightened her looked clean, which might explain why he was allowed in the bar. That said, we checked the timeline Amanda gave us for when this encounter took place. And as far as we can tell, Willie Claus, a.k.a. William Halliday, had already been committed to Trenton's psychiatric. So, either Amanda's timeline was faulty, or that means that there was someone else out there with mangled hands who quote-unquote knew who Amanda was. A disturbing possibility that we will go into greater detail on later in this episode. But before we go any further... Let's bring in local documentarian John Hume to tell us about what's been going on with Willie Claus, a.k.a. Will Halliday, since season one ended. So a lot of you have asked why it was ethical or even legal for us to broadcast the Zoom therapy session with the man we used to know as Willie Claus. (laughs) You're doing great. You're safe here, okay? Can you hear my voice? Can you hear my voice, William? I think the best person to explain why we are allowed to even play this conversation is Dennis Crum, the attorney for William Halliday and the entire Halliday family. I, I want to let you know, again, number one, how appreciative uh, Bonnie and Frank Halliday are. More importantly, you have their permission. As you know, they are Will's guardians. Beyond their permission, uh, they want you to show those sessions. I think they feel that it helps and will help Will with his healing process so they can get their brother back even more. How's Will Halliday doing? He's come a long way, I'll tell you that much. That uh, still has a, a long way to go. I had the opportunity to sit with him, you know, visiting him down in, in Trenton. And if you sit with Will for two hours, there will be about 20 minutes in there when he is Will. Uh, you know, the Will that I knew growing up before all of this went wrong. Were you there when Will's brother and sister came down to visit him for the first time? Absolutely. It was a beautiful scene. It was a lot of tears were shed. Can you share with us any information 
about some of those unsolved cases, both in, in the Highland Park area and in the Great Barrington area that Will's name was attached to? Well, I mean, the police don't share very much with me. To the extent that I have any knowledge, it's through the overlap with my own investigation privately for the uh, family and just coming across some of the same uh, folks that the police seemingly have spoken with. But uh, I don't know any details about their investigation. How about your investigation? Have you, what, what, can you share anything that you found? Well, we, we've been taking uh, a number of depositions. While I can't share with you what we've learned, what I will tell you is uh, it is some compelling stuff that is really going to move the needle with your investigation of this matter, and I'm sure the police as well. Uh, good things are coming. As the Halliday family lawyer, what is the intention of your investigation? Is it to exonerate Will? Is it to just find the truth? Is it to prepare for a civil situation? Well, at, at this point, our purpose is to find the truth. Will has been lost for a long, long time, uh, and we're only now just getting him back, and we feel the search for the truth and finding the truth, good or bad, whether it exonerates him or, or, or does not, we think will further bring back Will uh, to his family. We're incredibly excited to hear more about Mr. Crumb's investigation. But for now, he also provided us with the answer to perhaps our favorite question from the No Man's Land hotline. Hello, this is uh, Marcus from Graz, Austria, calling in today because I'm a little bit confused. It seems to me very obvious that the whole key to whatever's happening in no man's land is the little tower of rocks that Caleb and Seth uh, Carter knocked over back in the day. Um, and uh, not only in terms of how this tower worked and what it was there for, but who built it in the first place. Have you done any research and, and why haven't you tried to find out if it's still out there? I'm a really big fan of this podcast, but it doesn't make sense to me. And I, I really think that you should think about that. So the biggest problem with Marcus's suggestion is that we're talking about a stack of rocks that was knocked over about 70 years ago that could be anywhere in a pretty large chunk of woods. But according to William Halliday's attorney, the man formerly known as Willie Claus had some suggestions on where we might be able to find it. He mentioned something about, I think he called it Caleb's Tower. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we know a lot about that. We have that little stack of rocks that Caleb Carter and his little brother knocked over back in like the 40s. According to suspect, he and his brother made a strange discovery southeast of nearby Marywold Castle described as weird tower of rocks, which Caleb believed to be some kind of religious altar or shrine. Suspect warned his brother to leave the tower alone, but Seth could not resist touching it and unintentionally knocked it over. A short time later, boys apparently felt a presence in the forest. He seems to have seen it at some point in his life. I asked him, I said, where? And from what I can tell, it's in the vicinity of his campground. And the, the campground that he used to live in and out in no man's land. Absolutely. And he described this, this vegetation. He used the word spider webby. And he seems to think that the tower, this Caleb's rock, that it needs to be rebuilt. 
Rebuilt how so? That I can't tell you. I'm dealing with being able to glean bits and pieces, you know, from his moments of, of uh, approaching clarity. So as soon as he said that about Caleb's Tower, I, I knew we were going to go out there and look for this thing. The only question was, who was coming out there with us? We assembled an eclectic group of people. It was me, Will, John, a couple of John's students. My son, Jack. Yeah, uh, John's son, Jack. I'm not sure I believe in all like the spirits and stuff, but I'm ready. I'm ready to be scared. I'm ready to be proven wrong, you know, and uh, I'm just excited to see what we find. I also called an Aya Elkashif, who's one of my most talented filmmaking students and the only female member of the group. But I didn't really give her all that much warning. He literally gave me no information. He was like, we're going to shoot this thing in the woods and like, I'll tell you the details later. <laughs> we got on a Zoom call like the day of and he was just like, oh, like, by the way, like, this is what's happening. I've had individual conversations with all of you, so I don't really need to give you too much of a spiel. Number one thing out here is like safety. This should be a fun experience. It should not be a dangerous experience. So at any time that I feel like we're in danger, both physically or fucking spiritually, and I kid you not, you got to give me veto power. Now, if you say before I want to, you, 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 I'm out of here, then I fully respect that. There is no shame in bagging. And I will probably pull the trigger earlier than you want me to do. And I had a cold night's sleep last night. Am I a, a, a parody of a bad character in a horror movie who takes a bunch of kids out into the woods and we all get whacked? Right? I don't want that to happen. All right. Let's be wary of there are some creepy fucking people out there. Anybody who sees somebody with broken fingers, let me know. We're, we're fucking out of there. We went out there in the broad daylight. We had a team of eight people. We, we, we tried to like follow the rules of like not being stupid horror movie characters. Mm -hmm. But then all hell broke loose anyway. We are about to enter no man's land with the purpose of finding Caleb and Seth's Kyron. It's in there somewhere. We have pretty good directions where it might be, if it actually exists. A cairn has been used for most of recorded history to mark the location of something. This cairn is special. It's suggested that so long as the cairn is upright and formed, the no man's land spirits at bay. Do you believe in the supernatural? Yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> yeah, my mom's very um, superstitious. Kind of yeah. rubbed off on me. Even just by talking about or like thinking about some like supernatural kind of shit, I don't want to inadvertently like invite something in. So that was the voice of Big Chris, who at about 6'6", 250, definitely gave us some extra muscle. And we also brought Mason, a high school friend of my son Jack's, who honestly had some mixed feelings about coming out there. We have to be careful when we're doing this or else, you know, there could be serious consequences, uh, like stuff that we don't really understand and we're kind of intruding upon it. So like right here is where we found the bowl and the bones and the bolts. Uh, right here? Right here, yeah. Oh, wow. I think before we found anything, we did see that creepy dude sitting kind of down the ravine a bit. I ended up walking up to this cliff and I looked down and there was like this guy with like really shaggy hair and I don't know, I started recording it. Were you filming that dude sitting down there? Yeah, oh, I got a lot of it. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he saw me. Okay, be careful though, because we don't want to invade anybody's personal space. There was just this feeling that like he did not want us to be there. Like I feel like he knew we were there and I mean, we, we did see him more later. 
Ravens. From the tower off the track. What Jesus. What the f Okay. Somebody's definitely here very recently. It was like a big teepee kind of like tent thing made of like sticks. Very elaborate. Clearly it's been like lived in for a while. There were like beds and snacks um, and like weird drawings. Hello? What are these symbols? Should we call John? That symbol. It reminds me of the Zodiac killer. There was like satanic symbolism, bones and such. And there was like a mannequin hand that was messed up looking. You see that fucking mannequin? The hand? Oh shit. Why are the fingers The like fingers that? are bent. Bro, what is that? Finger braces. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't stick around here. Uh, and the thing that really freaked everybody out were there were um, finger braces. Because, um, you know, the thing about this, when it possessed somebody, it'll, you know, break their fingers. And so that means that somebody has been living here who's had many broken fingers. You sure we should stick around here? No. So. No, there's no The hut was scary because I was scared that someone was going to, like, sneak attack us and be like, yo, this is my house. I came down pretty soon after that and was like, let's get out of here for those very reasons. Like, we don't want to intrude on somebody's home. No, I honestly don't think we should be here. If he comes back here, then we're going to be in a bad way. When you're, somebody's up on the hill, we can at least see if people are coming and we can kind of give the shout out. This is crazy, but the mission is still, I, I still want to try to find this, this kind. My next memory is that we started to get the feeling like we were close to the kind or what we now know as Caleb's Tower. We were up on that hill, remember? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we started hearing this sound. In the description of where the Kyron was, it was around to the... What was that? It was a bird. It was a bird. It was described as like spider webby vegetation. Dude, what kind of bird makes that noise? What is that? A crow. A warning bird. Okay. No, I'm serious. Should we go take a look? No, it's probably a no, no, I'm going to stay here. Go around that way. And we go back down this hill and we see the man who was sitting down on the bench before, and he is slowly walking towards us and making this weird bird call. No. Yeah. <laughs> so we're like, what the fuck is going on? Do we have everybody? Hey, dude, come on. We're, just, we're not bothering you. Come on. What the hell? He clearly does not want us to be here. Yeah, he's but he starts coming closer and closer, and eventually we can see that his hand is all bandaged up. Wait, do you see his hand? Yeah. And then, not long after that, we hear a noise, which sounds like a different type of bird. Did somebody come that way? Are you hearing that too? Yeah, there's something over there. Is that a person? Or is that another? Is that a. Mark, guys, there's someone over there. Yes, there's someone over there with a shirt off. And me and Mark look yeah, and we see this man with no shirt. Speed walk past us. We feel like we followed him. Followed from a safe distance. Didn't you get the sense though that they were kind of communicating to each oh, other with the sure. bird calls? Yeah, no, they 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 were they were connected. And they, they were walking towards each other. So yeah, they, they were like 
trying to corner us. That's no. what it felt like. And you're forgetting one other thing about the shirtless man. His hands also fucked up. If you look close. I feel like we're getting surrounded. Yeah, let's get out of here. Okay. Yeah, it's clearly a message to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> like, that was a way for that guy to communicate to us. You're in a dangerous place. If you don't leave, something bad will happen. Aya, come on. Aya, Aya, Aya. He's following us. He's following us. Right, He's following on. us. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. The let's thing go. is, like, they were following us for a while. And, like, there was weird things happening for a while. I think because, like, we were in such a big group, it felt a little safer. And I was like, fuck it. Like, let's just keep recording. Wait, he's changing this. No. I'm telling you, I told you guys not to go into the fucking house, though. I told them we should leave, and they were like, no, no. It's like they're cornering us between each other. Do you want to bail or we can? No, we don't bail. Not on no man's land. I'm surprised you guys hung in there that long. Like, after the bird calls and, and seeing them walk up to you, that that wouldn't be enough be to make you run. Like, I would have been out of there. That's why I couldn't go I in the first place. There's plenty of people going, yeah. why aren't we running faster? Yeah, like, the, like several times I'm like holding myself back from interrupting Will and being like, wait, what? Wait, what? I feel like we were you cautious. It was more like ominous than like aggressive, you know? It was yeah. like, heed this uh, warning type it was. vibe. But you didn't. <laughs> At that point, after putting in this many years into this project, I was not leaving without seeing... Something. Yeah. I did bring the holy water though. That was in my pocket. Well, that's good. I like that. Everybody wanted to stay, mm. and so that was right around the time when we stumbled into what was clearly spiderwebby vegetation. I feel like this okay. is this. They is, don't want us around This matches here. us the description of the area that I wanted to look for. Though it's like they, it was described as spiderwebby vegetation. So, so when we keep going. I want to do. I just want to do one more pass of this area do we feel safe yep yeah. it's like a very distinct area it's like it's like different and so we started looking around in there and then it was my son jack who found it mm -hmm. the... found what oh i see what guys come here jack found something what the fuck it's a bunch of rocks stacked up Guys, guys, are you coming? I think it might be it. Oh, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Who found it? Jackie. Oh, yeah, baby. Pretty intact. Pretty intact. It's about three feet tall. Standing. The top half, I don't know how tall it might have been in its end, but the top half had collapsed yep. and had been clearly knocked over. Covered in vines. I don't know, the trees were like grabbing at it. Like that's that's how I describe it. It automatically felt like disturbing. And it would clearly have been there for a really long time. There were big flat rocks on the bottom, and then maybe at the two-thirds mark, everything had yeah. fallen over. It was very clearly human hands had constructed the thing and had been out there a long, long time to be that overgrown. I hear the call again. I want to get get the get the shots. Don't fuck with it. Nobody hearing, touch there's it. There's two different calls. Nobody, going okay, on. nobody touch it. Okay. We probably should wrap the vines out. Yeah. Everybody who's got a camera, go in there and please film. But I need somebody to like watch our back. Then I called 
my buddy Rod Dudley, who was Caleb and Seth's nephew, who for years and years and years had always wanted to go out there and find this thing. So guess what? I'm out in the fucking woods, and Jack, and Jack found the fucking the little tower of rocks. My son. Fuck yeah. Wait. Come here. I, is, is there any way I can? Is there any way I can put you on Facetime or anything like that? I Facetimed him in. Yeah. And we put him on there, and it was like deeply meaningful him for him to see it. Wow. His uncle was the one that found this and, and ended up killing his brother probably right on this spot. Check this out. Check this out. Show that to him. Yeah. Can we see? Down there, could I see yeah. The, you don't want to keep person. one of the rocks? I'll come there right now if I need to come there. This no. Is, this I'll, is amazing. Yeah, I'll take you out here on a different day. There's a, there, there's a little, it's a really sketchy vibe out here that I'll tell you about later. Are you guys safe right now? Yes, yes, we are. I think we got enough people that we feel safe, right? Yeah, we're good. We have numbers. In the back, back of our back? Yeah. Okay, all right. I just wanted you to know we found it, dude. Tell your mom, okay? Just get out of there before sunset. Okay. But then, as soon as we had him on there and started to get excited, the two guys came and, and started really closing in on us, don't you think? Yeah. Now that we know where it is, we can come out here and do it right in a little bit of a safer mm -hmm. environment. Maybe I'll get one of the first. No. Guys, right, guys, guys. All right, guys, let's go, let's go, let's go. Is he still down there? We began to get, like, scary. For me, yeah. more so than these. I think these guys were all like, fuck that, we're not going right. to change. At this point, I'm like, I'm responsible for these seven young people. We got to get out of here now. Let me walk down first and just and then come behind me, okay? And let, let me be in between you uh, and you okay. two. Be with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> lead with the height. Back yeah. him up, big dog. Are they going back to the calls again? Yeah. yeah. Sounds like the shirtless guy is back. Yeah. And you can see them just kind of like just walking towards us with the with the whistles in their mouths um, and just like kind of like hurting us out like we're cattle or something. Hey, he's coming. You guys go behind me, please. Me and Rick, me and Where's the other guy? Start walking that way. We're close enough where we can get out of here, okay? Let's just get out of here. Oh, he's coming. Guys, 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 come on. Here you go, just back, back up. Why are we walking so slow, guys? Yeah, walk faster. Guys, guys, guys. This is horror movie trope number one. They didn't interact like people. They interacted like they were like, I don't know, like they were like pieces on a board. Like they just walked up to each other, looked at each other, and then just kind of moved around just robotically, mechanically, doing their thing. Do we feel like we adequately marked that spot? I took a screenshot on my phone of where we were on the map. Behind us. With the second guy is coming up. Where? He's right there. Oh, I see both. He's moving fast, so we should probably go. We should go, we should go. Yo, John, 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 John. Let's get out of here, dude. They're together. This is so freaky. What the fuck? Okay. This is freaky. This is freaky. This is freaky. In hindsight, now I can like laugh about it, but I was definitely like terrified. You know, there was that adrenaline aspect to it, which even though it was like really fucking scary. I was that the guy that was sitting down on the bench before? Wait, there's a guy. There's a guy coming up. Oh, I know. That's just a dog. Okay. Please. We were like walking out, and like this guy and his dog come in, and we're like. You don't want to go in the woods right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's just a couple of really sketchy dudes over there. Just beware, okay? And they're following us, like, they're like messing up us with, like, bird calls and stuff. Like, just... 
Yeah, and there's like, one of them has like a little shanty or something right out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, beware, beware. There's like two of them right now that are coming this way. He's like, I don't care. I have my dog. I'll be okay, blah, blah, blah. We're like, okay, whatever you say. And we, we stand there and we watch him walk. This guy is not afraid. Oh my God. This guy does not care. And they don't even make eye contact with this guy with a dog walking past him. Like they're solely focused on us. Okay, so we did something. Yeah, definitely. We, we did something. For me, that was really creepy because it's like whatever whatever we're doing there, they've acknowledged that and they don't want it happening and they want us to leave. Yeah, I'm telling you, for all we know, he's with them. Out. Everybody out to the cars. Will and Mark, let's go. Chris, out. We're going back to my house. Jesus, what's good out of here? Yeah, let's drive past the entrance, dude. You're filming still? Yeah. We were walking so slow. Yeah, I got it. Well, I thought, you know, we're like, once they would see how the hikers, I thought they would. They're not? Oh, they're, yeah, they're going back. They're going back. They're going back. Oh. No, no, they're looking at us. They're look, they see us. They see us. They see us. Fuck you. Fuck you. And then one more very creepy thing that happened was as we were driving out, they were like standing at the entranceway where we were. Yeah, they're just standing there. Can you zoom on them? Yeah, I'm zoomed in all the way. I can't really tell what they're doing, but... Looks like they're just talking. They're talking. I can't tell what's going on. Eat the horn. No, don't do anything. <laughs> they're being weird towards each other. And they were doing this communication through their hands in a way that I really... I have no idea what they were doing, but it was very freaky. Wait, what He's putting his hand out. Is he about to fight? Are they gonna fight, fight? that guy? Is he? He's putting his hand out. I know. What the hell was that? So the good news is we not only found Caleb's tower, but we also marked the location. When I went back several days later with some colleagues of mine from Rutgers, along with several members of the Rutgers police, it was still there. So was the little hut that we think at least one of these guys built in the woods, but most of the personal stuff inside was gone. As for Caleb's Tower, we're glad to say it's now under the auspices of a team of scholars, both here at Rutgers and the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, who strongly believe that this chiron traces back to the doomed village of Landing Lane in New Jersey. At one time in the old days, there was a group of Scottish Christians living there. They all died under mysterious circumstances. The leader, I think, hung himself, and the rest of them followed suit. Season 2 will feature a two-episode deep dive into Landing Lane's history, along with its sister village of Raritan Landing, and how what happened centuries ago might still be rippling through no man's land today. So yes, Marcus, from Graz, Austria, we are doing some research into the little Tower of Rocks. I still think that Amanda's story may have been, she may have actually seen somebody, but it wasn't Willie, it was somebody else with messed up hands. Could have been one of those guys. Right, it could have been one of those guys. I've sent those pictures to 
police officer friends of mine. Nobody's been arrested. We don't have the right to put them on our website or on YouTube. We didn't have their permission to be recorded. For all we know, they could have just been people messing with us, really. Didn't feel like that. It felt scary and disturbing. But um, be careful out there. All I'm saying is you, as you walk through the New Brunswick Highland Park area, and especially in no man's land, be on the lookout for people with fucked up hands. Always. But even beyond the crazy shit that happened to us out there, there were moments as we were going out there, I was like, we're going too far. It felt like something knew we were there, knew who we were and knew we were there. I feel Which, like that happens throughout this. I feel like whatever has been there has known that we were there, you know? I've, I feel like I've had that feeling throughout. Is there any part of you that says now is the time to stop doing this? No. <laughs> How about you? I mean, you're always the one that wants to push it further. I don't know. I've never really felt like we've been taking it too far or that we're uh, we're in too deep. I just feel like there's something that we need to, to figure out. Like, we know there's something going on and we need to solve it. And for me, I'm willing to do that by any means necessary. Coming up on season two of No Man's Land. And even in the landing lane galore, Sophie Ballantyne was known to break her own fingers. And then when she was killed, it was said that the, you know, other kids kept kind of mutilating themselves in a similar way. So it's all, ugh, it's all kind of crazy. That pool seemed like it was cool. Oh, I bet. I bet you if you really looked, you'd find like 17 dead bodies. There's something in that pool. I'm not going. It doesn't smell like anything normal. It smells like death. There were several times throughout our conversation where we were talking about No Man's Land, like where I felt like I was actually scared of you. Like the way that you like turned your head and the way that you said things to me, like something was off. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, I, I, interp- I interpreted we were- that as you being scared of the conversation, yeah, not that you were directly that it was, frightened like, sort of me. Of, like, coming through you. No Man's Land is produced by Mark Remrecka, Will Schwartz, Sophia Salamando, and John Hulme. Sound design by Carmen Borgia, Original score by Kevin Wiggins. Our theme song is Inventions by Maserati. Special thanks to Alex Dawson, Julian Lance, Joe Newton, Jack Hume, Mason Springer, Aya Elkashif, Chris Smack, and especially Miles Herzog and Caleb Bergner, who were also a part of our team in the woods. Be sure to check out Caleb's award-winning horror short, No Way Out, on YouTube. Our featured song is We Are Like the Sun by the Anderson Council.
Hi, this is uh, Mia from Chattanooga, and I I enjoyed your podcast. I really did. But ever since I listened to it, I don't know, man. I've had a lot of nightmares, bad ones. And um, I guess I just wondered if anyone else was worried that maybe just by listening, we're somehow calling attention to ourselves, maybe even maybe putting ourselves and our families in danger, you know, because I do. I worry about it a lot. And I, you know, I really wish you hadn't put those photographs of the name in Pete's journal on your website. Would you, could you please take them down? Please.